Welcome to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win at real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel, clueless just like you, and we're still doing our Guide for Grads dedicated to the class of 2015. And I actually have to give a shout out to the class of 2015 at Northwestern University and so many of my friends who graduated. Congratulations. Good luck. For this week, we're talking about a big topic that I'm sure all recent grads and even me as someone a year out is nervous about, which is money. So if you've ever been overwhelmed by your student loans or your company's entry packet with 401k plans and tax deductible options and this and that, and if your heart stops every time you get bills in the mail, then just take heart in the fact that I still feel the same way and I have officially been out of college for about a year. So rather than me sit here and make you more nervous about it, I think we should just jump right into it. And joining me today is Donna Rosado, a business journalist and senior writer at Money Magazine who specializes in writing about personal finance. And she's going to help you and me figure out the top things that all graduates should know about money after graduation. Hi, Donna. Hi, Sam. Great to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. So I know you have a little story about graduating, as many people do, with student loans, which can be really just overwhelming and frustrating. And when you have so much else going on, like moving or getting a job, that debt can be really, really disheartening. So I know that that sounds similar to your story. It certainly does. It's been a lot longer since I've graduated from college. But when I emerged, I had $20,000 in student loans. And it seemed like a lot. And I did not know I had you must start paying within six months. And I you have 10 years to pay off a student loan. And I took all 10 years to pay off those student loans. And I ended up paying more than $7,000 in additional interest. I didn't think about it a lot at the time. But I would definitely do things differently. Okay, so let's Let's first start by what you were talking about with student loans and interest. So every year that you don't pay it, the loan accumulates some type of interest? Well, you must pay it. Uh, Student loans, it's kind of like the IRS. Uh, You never escape them. And if you don't pay, you could pay a lot more in penalty. But one thing that you may not realize when you sort of sign those papers is there is an interest rate based on those loans that even over the years that you pay it, you're going to have to, it'll accumulate interest, just like any loan. That's how the bank makes money on you. So today, it depends on where you got your loan from, but roughly today, you're probably going to pay 6 or 7% in interest over the life of the loan. But when you come out, so when you come out, it can be a big chunk of your salary. Right. So you need to understand that, you know, it's gonna it can take a long time. But one of the things that I wish I had done differently was sit down and realize just how much I was paying. I just took the, you know, what they told me I should be paying every month and that's what I did. But as you make more money, and we always hope that we do, right. start paying more. That was my big mistake. As my income went up, I wish I had looking back wish I had paid more over time and I could have really reduced the amount of interest I paid over time. I think that's something that's probably going to come up a couple times with stuff we talk about today is that these first this first year after college you have to develop some kind of like forward thinking. You have to develop some foresight. Like you have to be able to see in the long term, which I really struggle with. Like I, you know, get a paycheck and that paycheck is here today and I don't think about 
I struggle to think about rent next month and the month after and costs that are kind of come up in six months. So I think that student loans is a great example of needing to think about, like you said, your salary increases and paying more now might seem bad, but in six months or six years or whatever, it's going to end up paying off. No pun intended. (laughs) Right. And I just want to give people a, a great tool to understand like your different options. There's a repayment estimator and you kind of figure out what these sort of what your options are and what those costs are going to be. It's at studentloans.gov. And you can plug in your loans and you can figure out what your different options are. But then you can see the interest over time and you can kind of play around with it. And one thing I just want to say on the uh, student loans, they're actually good in a way because a lot of times when you graduate from college, you don't have a lot of credit and credit history. You may have a credit card, but but maybe not. And I recommend making sure that your loans, if you pay them on time, it can really improve your credit score. Have the money deducted automatically from your paycheck mm-hmm. to pay that so you never have to worry about being late. And my, a lot of people don't know this, but you actually can deduct up to $2,500 in your interest payments on your taxes. So I have a question, and then this app and website sounds like a great resource, but a lot of times I want to talk to people, like how I'm talking to you right now. Yeah. Sometimes it just helps to feel like it's a little more personalized. Are there people that you can seek out that will help advise you on how to pay off your loans? Well, you have to be careful. There are people out there who will talk to you about ways to consolidate your loans that might not be beneficial to you. But yes, the government, if it's it's a federal loan, you can, there's a, a helpline. A lot of loans are through, say, Sally May. You can talk to somebody there. The government does doesn't want you not to repay it. They yeah. actually are like the IRS in a lot of ways. If you're struggling, they'll go through the options with you on the phone and they will talk about what's best for you. So there definitely there's definitely help available. I also recommend there's a terrific website run by a man named Mark Kantrowitz and it's thinaidaid.com. Mm-hmm. And he just has a wealth of information, probably everything you can imagine about financing college and paying back your loans. So I really recommend checking that out, too. Sounds great. I think that's probably a bigger topic than we could cover in one day. So let's move on to the next big thing, which, again, theme of the day I struggle with, budgeting. And I know you have a couple of really good tips for recent grads that are just starting out that need to come up with a budget. It's harder than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Budgeting sounds so grim. Yeah. We don't like to call it a budget at Money Magazine. We like to think, think about it as a spending plan. Okay. Because it really is about spending your money and where it's going. But you need to prioritize. So you're a new grad. Hopefully you got that job. Sit down and figure out what your take-home pay is. And when I say take-home, that's not your salary. Your salary is your annual pay. But then you're going to have taxes taken out right. and all sorts of things. Look at what you're actually bringing home every week, two weeks, whatever it is. And then you want to tally up what your fixed costs are. And there's a great rule of thumb, the 50-30-20 rule. That's a great way to think about it. And what that is is 50% of your income should go to your fixed cost. That's your rent. That would be utilities, groceries, the things you must have to live. Mm -hmm. And you should take the other 30% and toward fun. You're a young person. Life should not be grim. So whatever fun is for you. And then the other 20% should be for savings and your debt, which likely is student loans. 
and credit cards or credit cards. Now, if you are finding that your take-home pay isn't quite stretching to fit those marks, you might want to flip it around. So cut back. You can always cut back on your fun. And maybe you devote 20% of your take-home pay to fun and you do 30% towards your debt. And that is the the variable cost that you could play around with. Sure. I will say that exactly what you said, your take-home pay is not what you think it is. I learned that the hard way, that what they tell you on the phone ends up not being what actually comes through in your paychecks every <laughs> yeah, two weeks. That's right. Yeah, that's a really fun thing to figure out. Makes you feel kind of grown up, though, to be like, oh, I had this taken out for taxes. That's right. It's that's very right. adult. I it, love it. It is. And, you know, often you get money back on your taxes. So it's uh, it's for some people, it's a way to save their money, too. Yeah. And I think we talked about this, that budgeting is very personal. Like, it's whatever works for you. I use Mint because it helps keep track of things. And it very annoyingly reminds me if I've gone over my budget for the month of something I've allocated. Although the struggle with Mint is that they break it down really granular, like that you have a laundry budget and a restaurant budget and a grocery budget. And so I sort of estimated them and I'm readjusting them every month, but it'll send me an alert when it's like, you went $5 over your laundry budget. And I'm like, that's because I didn't do laundry last month. (laughs) So I had to splurge on laundry this month. So I'm curious if you had, when you were just starting out, a budget plan that worked for you. No, I wish I did. Yeah. Um, I sort of took my bills and paid what I what I had. And I really didn't think a lot those first couple of years about saving. But I did work. I, I've always been a business journalist. And I worked with some pretty smart people who were, they didn't really talk to me about paying down debt, but they talked to me about saving. And we're going to get to this, but, you know, put money in your 401k, which comes out of your paycheck. Mm-hmm. But one thing I want to say about Mint, I, I agree with you. I find Mint can be a, a little overrun because it is granular and you have to input information. And, and I find it, but there are, we've talked about this before, but an easy way to save is to automate your savings. And you want money taken directly out of your paycheck. But there are some really cool... Well, I don't want it directly taken out of my paycheck, <laughs> but it's probably the smart thing to do. <laughs> it's a behavioral thing. If you right. had to actually do it yourself, it probably wouldn't get done. It's just right. inertia, even if you have the money. But it's sort of painless if it's automatically taken out. Yeah. But there are a couple apps that I think are great. I'll just name one, uh, Smarty Pig, which will help you automatically take money and deposit it into accounts as well. So you can have money taken directly from your paycheck, but like Smarty Pig will help you not only help you track your budget, but it will also provide this service. It kind of looks at where your spending is and looks for the extras, matches against what you're spending and the kind of spending you're doing, like your rent and the big stuff. And it looks for places where you can find extra and helps plop it into savings. And you, you mentioned 401ks, and I do think that that's such a big thing that we should talk about when I got my job and they gave us this big entry packet and all the stuff that you had to do in your first 30 days. One of the big things was figuring out your savings plan, your 401k plan. And I was super overwhelmed and I didn't know what to do. And I had to. But the way our system works is you can only get on the system at work on the work computers, or at least that's the only way I could do it. So I had to wait until like 8 p.m. when everyone had left the office so I could call my parents (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so no one would hear me and and figure out what my what my plan was. But I know that that is a huge smart thing that all grads should know about and understand. It is. And uh, it definitely is overwhelming. But let me start with why it's so great to mm-hmm. join your 401k, even when you're just out of school and you're trying to struggle to pay your loans. It's 
easy savings because it comes right out of your paycheck. It's that behavioral thing. You know, you're never you're never going to miss it when it's taken directly out of your paycheck. And it comes out pre-tax. That's right. They're pre-tax dollars, and what that means is you're you're going to be. This is money that's going to go further because. The money that you take pre-tax reduces your overall income, so you're going to pay less tax overall on what you earn. And then when you put that money in, it grows tax-free over the life of you saving. And this is what this is the biggest powerful thing and why you should start early. If you put money in when you're 22, 23 years old, it doesn't have to be a lot, but it will grow. Ideally, you're not touching it. Until you're 65. That's a long time. And you have the power of compounding. And that money that you put away, if you save money from age 22 to 30, you can save less over that time than if you put money away from when you're 30 to, you know, for the rest of your life. The money you save in those first eight years and all the years it compounds, you will, it will grow almost double what you would have saved if you'd started later. Wow. Yeah. Now, one good rule of thumb is to make sure to try to save enough to get what is the called the employer match. Right. And that most like 90 percent of companies offer an incentive for you to contribute to your 401k. They literally give you money and they match your contribution. But to get that contribution, you have to put away a certain amount of money. Typically, it's about six percent of right. your of your salary. But then they're giving you that. But then they give you that same 6%, right? Well, it, it, it varies a little bit. But if, you mad, if you're putting away 6%, they'll give you another 3%. Okay. But that's a lot of money. that, And they're doing that over time. And your 401k is portable. Um, you take it with you wherever you go. Oh, so it... So when you leave, it's not like the money disappears when you leave your job. Not at that all. Probably sounds like such a silly question, but no, not that's at what all. I'm here to do. Ask you all know, the silly questions. <laughs> there are some accounts if you put away. There's some tax friendly accounts like your uh, flexible spending account that you really have to use up when you're at a company. It's not portable. But you mentioned how overwhelming the choices can be too. And yes. here's a great thing. And here's a good piece of advice. It doesn't have to be complicated. The more important thing is that you're saving the money. Almost every 401k plan today has what is called a target date fund, and you should put your money into that. All that means is that you t- the target date is the date that you expect to retire. Pick the target date fund, match to the year that you would like to retire, and that money goes automatically into it. It is professionally managed. You don't have to think about it, and cool. it makes it really simple and really easy. And then there's another option, which is... The Roth IRA? That's right. I mean, you know, not every company is going to offer, particularly smaller companies. If you're working for a startup or a company that, say, has like 50 or fewer employees, which is exciting, you yeah. know, they may not offer a 401k. But anybody can it can open what's called an IRA, an individual retirement account. And there's a kind of IRA that's particularly great for young people. It's called a Roth. And... So we talked about a 401k putting money in pre-tax. With a Roth, you put money in after tax. And then, but all the years you leave it in there, it grows tax-free. And then when you take the money out, you never have to pay taxes again. Oh, that's nice. And here's why it's a good thing for a young person. Today, unfortunately, you're not making a lot of money, but you're probably in a lower income tax bracket, so you're not paying a lot of tax 
on uh-huh. the money that you have. Right. So when you're older and you retire and you need that money, you're going to probably be taxed at a much higher rate. So it's worth it to put after-tax money in. And I did a quick calculation if you did this. So if I did this. Okay, If cool. you did this. All right. So if you are, oh, this to, to underscore, if you just did this for like the first eight years, if you you can put a maximum of five thousand five hundred dollars away in, in the I, in the Roth IRA in a Roth IRA okay and if you did it for eight years from age twenty two to age thirty you'll have more than a million dollars by the time you're sixty five no way that is totally true can I go open one right after this episode <laughs> yes yes you can <laughs> well I have to see if I have fifty five hundred dollars to put and, in it but well that's the other thing yeah. you know and you don't have to put the entire fifty five hundred the one thing I'll mention about the 401k you can put a lot more money away you can put eighteen thousand dollars a year away oh, wow. so that's the other benefit of a 401k you could put more away but if you put that for just those eight years you put you find that fifty five hundred dollars a month a year to put away, you would have a million dollars by the time you're 65. If you started doing that when you were 30, you'd have half that. That's so interesting. The power and I of love compounding. When people do the math for me, that's <laughs> great. That's really unbelievable. And again, that goes back to just being able to see into the future a little bit and think a little bit less about what you're having for dinner Friday night and maybe what vacation you're going to go on in 2086, whatever, 20. 15 plus 65 is. Yeah, it's a lot of math. Uh, I should be able to do this. 2080? I don't know. That seems like a lot. Maybe you don't do that. It sounds really far away. As you can see, math and money is not my strong suit. (laughs) So before we stop, I think it's always important to talk about the big mistakes. And I know that obviously not saving is a big mistake, but there are some other ones that I think are smaller that people should know about, I should know about. One being not having an emergency account. Yes. So, uh, you know, that should have been, that. that is part of saving. So okay. when you look at, we talked about putting 20% of your income towards savings, mm-hmm. you want to have an emergency fund. That is something that money that you set aside to cover if something happens. So say you have, if you're outside of New York and you have a car, your car breaks down, mm-hmm. you need that. If you get a big medical bill, you know, something where you need a big chunk of money quickly if you don't have an emergency fund, where are you going to turn for that? I mean, maybe you could go to mom and dad, but if you don't want to, it's nice to be able to have that. And so for a young person, roughly $1,000 would be fine. That's a that's a good number to shoot for. And it sounds like a lot, but you just put, a, put some money away and you can quickly get up to that. So mm-hmm. emergency fund, you want to have that. And we talked about not signing up for your 401k right away is a mistake because even if you don't make a lot of money... It accumulates. It's, you know, by the time you retire, you're a millionaire. But what about credit card debt? This was another mistake that I made when I was just out of college. My older brother actually co-signed a credit card for me, and I really didn't know how they worked. I yeah. didn't know. When I when I got the first bill, I didn't know that I had to pay it every month. And he, he called me up after two months of me not paying it, and he said, hey, you going to pay that? And I lived in London doing, uh, I had the, sort of like an internship over there. And that's what I used it for to buy my plane tickets and oh, wow. money to live on. And so I can't, I think it was probably like $1,500, $2,000. And I wasn't paying it out. So I, I earned, a, I racked up a lot of debt and it scared me because then my brother was on the hook too. So I, I did pay it off. It took me a while to pay off. So I really think, you know, racking up a lot of credit card debt it's a huge interest rate as well. It's usually like 12, 15%. You're paying a lot of money for someone else to give you money. So yeah. just try to like, if you have credit card debt, 
get rid of it. But you should actually have a credit card. That was going to be my next question was, what's your opinion on the young people having a credit card versus just having a debit card? When you need to build up a credit score, it's a smart thing to have a good credit score. As I said earlier, the credit score is used, employers look at your credit score, which is just a sign of how you handle your debt. And, you know, a student loan goes toward building that up. So I recommend just getting one credit card, maybe like a $500 limit on it so you don't go too crazy and pay it off every month. You've had so much good advice, but I'm curious if you have one piece, if you could say anything to the class of 2015 right now, they just graduated, they're so scared, what would you say to them about money? You're probably just excited to get a job, but I recommend when you're when you negotiate, negotiate your salary. When so many people don't do that, they don't negotiate a salary. And it's very powerful. Don't accept the job offer without negotiating. What I mean by that is most employers expect you to to negotiate. So say you're offered, I don't know, $50,000 a year for a salary. That sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. So you would like to, but don't just accept that. Go back and say, I was expecting 55. And you'll come down in the middle there. The money you earn when you first get out of school sets a base. And you don't want to start out low. You want to start out as high as you can. And that has a big influence on your lifetime earnings. And here's a statistic. 75% of people who do ask for more money get it. Wow. That's a really, that's a cool note to end on. So ask for more. Budget. Save be a millionaire at 65. All sounds like good things. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Don. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Sam. Thanks to all of you for joining me today for Adulthood Made Easy. If you have topics or questions you'd like me to address in a future episode, just tweet them to me at Sam Zabel and I'll add them to my list. Our producer is Tim Einenkel. And if you like the show, don't forget to review and subscribe on iTunes. Plus, don't forget to pick up a copy of the book that has all the answers, The Real Simple Guide to Real Life, which you can get wherever books are sold. I'm Sam Zabel, and I'll have more answers next time. <laughs>